Enlightened Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Hunt. In this episode, Ellie joins us for a history discussion on the Great World War II. Listen, you might learn something. I'm going to pretend like I haven't re-recorded this ad 15 times. Hi, I'm Ben Hunt. I hate to interrupt your lovely podcast experience with this ad, but I'm going to anyway. Why? Because Anchor needs me to. So I'm really never going to advertise for anything that I don't believe in, and Anchor, I actually believe in. So Anchor is an app or a website that allows me to do everything I need to for the podcast. It allows me to record and edit right from my phone or my computer. It also allows me to distribute my podcasts on every listening platform you can think of, from Spotify to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, even Stitcher. So basically, it's a one-stop shop for everything you need in a podcast. And best of all, it's totally free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All good. We are good. Cool. Rolling. Rolling. So here we are, Ellie once again, talking about the Great World War II. World War II. I thought you were going to say the Great War. I'm like, well, yes, but... No, it's it's a quote from Patton where when Patton starts off um, the movie Mm -hmm. and he is um, giving a speech to his soldiers and he just says, uh, you know, um, we're going to fight in this war. So, you know, many years from now, while you're sitting by the fire, your grandson will ask you, what did you do in the Great World War II? And he said, and you won't have to sigh and say, well, I shoveled shit in Louisiana. Nice. Yeah, but, uh, I, you know, this is a huge multi-episode spanning project. Oh, this is going to be a massive series. Yeah, big time. Um, I love history podcasts. Not quite as long as the war itself, but... No, 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 no. That would be, uh, frankly, impressive. Six, seven-year endeavor. Yeah, we're not doing revolutions or anything (laughs) along those lines. I love Mike Duncan. I do love Mike Duncan as well. No, it's just, uh, I, you know, we talked about doing history podcasts in the first place for a long time um, with the Enlightened podcast platform, and we were debating what, what topic would really get in there. And as we're both um, history teachers, I can kind of, you know, keep that on the DL. <laughs> but um, I think it's a subject that both of us are super interested in. Yeah. I think it's a subject that a lot of people are interested in. And I feel like it's an image where a lot of people know a little bit about World yeah. War II. And I feel like there isn't a whole image. Um, you can get into the... There's a lot of people that are super into it that are yeah. mostly dads and grandfathers. Yeah. But... I feel like the average person should have, like, World War Two in layman's terms. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. From beginning to end. Yeah. So you ready to dive in? Let's do it. All right. So we should probably discuss the origins of the Second World War. And where do you start with the origins of the Second World War? The First World War. Bingo. Mm-hmm. There's a reason they're one and two. Part one and part two of the world's worst problems. Yeah, it is the great uh, World War Two is the greatest conflict in human history. Mm-hmm. It, it has like it literally upset tens of millions, arguably uh, hundreds of millions. It's yeah, it yeah. is it is the definitive it's a offset moment only by the empire destruction that happens at the end of World War One. Yeah, exactly. So it is um, it's a huge topic to get into. Okay. There are a lot of different um, moving pieces. And we're certainly going to continue on and do episodes like this on World War One and explaining that. Yep. But we got to start somewhere. And World War Two is a good place to start. And by starting with World War Two, we got to just give a rough outline of World War One. Yep. So, World War One is basically the end of feudalism. Yeah. That's more or it's less... It's the end of large-scale empires. Where yes. not even just feudalism, but it's it's the beginning of that kind of massive nationalist uh, movement where you have all of these small countries 
coming into existence that used to be under the massive umbrella of the Ottoman Empire or the Russian Empire or the Austro-Hungarian Empire or whatever. Yeah, so I would basically call it, it is, um, in large part, it's a law of war of democracy against imperialism. Yeah. Um, as imperialist as we think of old England mm-hmm. being, it was remarkably democratic right. compared it's much to more, the it's, German Empire. Oh, yeah, where England kind of in an, went through a natural progression from autocratic to more constitutional monarchy. Um, you had France, which was, I think, in its second or third republic at this point. Mm-hmm. The U.S. comes in on the side of the Allies, and that's the world's biggest democracy again. And then you had Russia for a time as well. Mm-hmm. But then you have that against Imperial Germany, Imperial Austria, the Ottoman Empire, I think the Bulgarian, and like some of those other smaller Southeastern European kingdoms were on the side of the Central Powers too. And it was just, it was literally the entirety of Europe went up in flames. Yeah. And uh, as we discussed beforehand when we were trying to, you know, iron out what is World War II, yeah. I would literally call it, it is a European civil war. Yeah. It is just the Europe is so developmentally advanced compared to the rest of the world that it drags the rest of the world yeah. into mm-hmm. its civil war. Yeah. Um, so World War One, I'm sure everybody knows as trenches, mm-hmm. mud, blood, no man's land, barbed wire. It is an entire the, generation of men was lost. Yeah. It is literally um, the the. Modern war was invented then. Modern weapons, Napoleonic-style warfare, and it was just horrific. Yeah, you're using old-line battle tactics against machine guns. You had cavalry charges against machine guns and mortars and artillery. Yep. And that just... Chemical weapons, start seeing air uh, air forces. Tanks. Yep. Um, We'll definitely get into tanks when we discuss Churchill. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's just devastation. Yeah. Um, what ends up happening is uh, Germany is slowly ground down to a loss. It is roughly a stalemate mm-hmm. the entire time, but it is actually what ends up being the clincher is um, Great Britain is able to um, outlast the central powers because the central powers are the, in the center so yeah. they are literally just restricted of trade so you literally have every people like people that making the war effort in mm-hmm. you know germany and austria hungary are just literally starving mm-hmm. and that that kind of tells the tale but then yeah. you also have the final push that the american supplies yep. and what um that can and manpower Mm -hmm. that tipped the scales. Yeah, where when they were able to close down that second front after the Russian Revolution and the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk when Russia pulled itself out, well, Soviet Russia pulled itself out of the war, it just happened too late. They weren't Mm -hmm. able to kind of make that swing because, oh, now you all of a sudden have all this manpower and weaponry that you Mm -hmm. don't need on the Eastern Front anymore. Yep. But that's happening at the same time as all the new American soldiers and new supplies are coming in so it just didn't end up making any difference yep so that leads us to the beginning of world war ii and this is literally the first step in world war ii and it's taught in every high school class every Mm -hmm. college lecture ever yeah is the treaty of versailles the signing of the treaty of versailles was the nail in the coffin big time it is the spark that starts world war ii it was just a low burning flame yeah it took 20 years but it 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 happened. Exactly. So for those of you who don't know, um, the Treaty of Versailles is the agreement settled upon the European powers for the terms of the armistice of World War One. Mm-hmm. Within the bounds of the treaty, there are very, very harsh exacting conditions on the central powers, particularly Germany, yeah. because France and England essentially put all the blame on the central powers for starting the war. And it was mostly France pushing for it because so many of the battlefields were in France. France was decimated. Oh, absolutely. Um, And even though Austria technically started the war because it was the Archduke of 
Austria, the heir to the to the empire, who was assassinated, and they're the ones who went to Serbia and said, "Okay, either do like do what we tell you, or we're gonna invade." Mm-hmm. Germany gets lambasted with fines and reparations and oh, like yeah. demilitarization. Yeah. Like everything is pinned on Germany. So uh, one of the major. Um parts of the Treaty of Versailles, the first part is the war reparations, where it's uh, basically punished and said that they need to pay billions of dollars to the Allies for what they... What they lost, basically. Yeah, what they lost, um, to try and bring back their um, economies. The other side of things is the demilitarization of the German Empire, where they are heavily restricted in mm-hmm. every area where they can only have an army of like x number they yeah, can only have was... a certain number of battleships and whatnot exactly and so then it's they had very 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 they small. lost a bunch of their territory too where the Sudetenland, land um, lorraine alsace and lorraine mm-hmm. yeah they the empire mm-hmm. was i want to say they yielded land to poland too i think so yeah because poland poor poland i know poland has been mm-hmm. divvied when that was part of it too is poland had been divvied up by the German Empire, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and the Russian Empire, 17 times over. Exactly. Um, and, like, the Empire was overthrown. You have the, the Weimar Republic that comes in. Mm-hmm. They're trying to force some sort of democratic government yeah, on so a very imperialistic, I f- militaristic people. Yeah, I think this episode is mostly going to be on Germany and the rise of Nazi Germany. Yeah. Um, so after the Treaty of Versailles and as time goes on, um, the, the German, uh, imperial estate is toppled. Mm-hmm. The last German king, um, is... Wilhelm II. Uh, Frederick Wilhelm II. Just Wilhelm. Is it? Yeah. I thought it was Frederick Wilhelm. No, just Wilhelm. Interesting. Anyway. Uh, he is removed from power and he's moved to, uh, is it Belgium that he ends up in? Or the Netherlands? Somewhere like that, yeah. They go into exile. Uh, the royal family exists. Some of them go to to England because uh, they're all interbred. So, it is, um, German history is basically, it's very interesting because Germany and Italy are very similar in their history where they are a series of small states. Mm -hmm that eventually just kind of are dominated and welded together into one singular state. Because the German Empire only came into being in the mid-1800s. It it was all made by Otto von Bismarck. And the the German unification was very, very shortly before World War I. Yeah. So... Where you had, like, uh, the King of Prussia was the the first German emperor. Mm -hmm. And then you had, like, four or five of them before it collapses. Um... So, when Germany goes into World War One and comes out on the losing side, uh, it kind of fractures again, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of different competing governmental powers, political movements in Germany to try and fill the gap yeah. that the imperialists have left. Yep. So, there is a huge rise in socialism, there's a huge mm-hmm. rise in communism. What um, the Allies set up is the Weimar Republic which is an attempt to add some kind of democracy. And it fails utterly. And it fails. Um, what happened is the the German state, nation, yeah. the German nation um, suffered grievous losses, mm-hmm. and its food supply and economy were struggling yeah, at the best of times. Its infrastructure is yeah, decimated. It is, it, it is just a wasteland. So... Because of this struggle, they were hit by far the hardest because what happens in 1929, mm. as they're trying to struggle through... Yeah, they've had maybe 10 years of attempted recovery and then they get hit it, the Great Depression. It was slow economic recovery and then they're just hammered by yeah. the Great Depression. And because the U.S. holds a lot of the um, their interests because yeah. they're able to take the loans from loans, the U.S., yeah. Yeah, they uh, to pay their reparations to France. They're taking loans out of the U.S. and obviously the stock market crash hit, and suddenly all those banks are defunded mm-hmm. and defunct. So, 
Um, yep. It just ruins the German economy. There are all kinds of stories of people literally taking wheelbarrows Barrels full, full of, marks. of marks. Yeah. Um, to which try is and pay the, for... Yeah. Yeah. Just the German currency yeah. is literally... there. The uh, you can look up pictures, and there are children who are literally playing with stacks and stacks and stacks of money. It is insanity. You can actually look at the numbers. I was reading um, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich recently, mm-hmm. and that's it is absurd when you get into the actual math, where it's like yeah. $1 at one point was like a million marks. Yeah. Um, and just physically, that's There's no, Yeah, there was no way for them to survive. So, which leads to, which leads to uh, a kind of chasm, yeah, where you start to have like the obvious open abyss. It, when people are in trouble, they tend to look for a man on a white horse. Mm-hmm. I believe is Reagan's some um, kind of someone who is going to be able to pull them back up. You need uh you need a uniter. Yep. And uh the, the exact same thing happens in Russia. Yeah. And under they, Lenin. And they look to Lenin. Yep. Uh what happens to Germany is they look to Adolf Hitler. That scrawny little Austrian coming up out of mm-hmm. Vienna. So we should probably start with uh Hitler's history. Yep. So he was born in Austria in um, like rural farmland. Uh, his actual name, I believe, is Adolf Schnickenglooper. Something to that effect. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not joking. That's his oh, actual name. Oh, I know. Name. We've talked about this before, and I giggle every time I hear it. Yeah. Because uh, he, he's what? Like the illegitimate son of like a barmaid and something? So I think his father is the illegitimate okay. son of a barmaid, and I believe he is like the... Second born son or something, something to that effect where uh, it was questionable whether his parents were married. It was definitive that his um, his grandparents were not married. Uh, it, uh, there is some speculation that he has Jewish ancestry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believe that that has been. I feel like proven, that's been. Yeah. Incorrect. Debunked, but that is. Yeah. Yeah. There's an that was an apocryphal story. Yeah. Um, that went around for a long time. Uh, he... Uh, Failed art student. Y- yeah, that is the most famous part about him. Um, he had a very domineering father mm-hmm. and a mother that basically let him get away with anything. Mm. Uh, he was an indifferent student, though he had one history teacher who was a wild German nationalist, and uh, Hitler openly talked about how he was the one that inspired him to make Germany great again. And uh, that's people described him as kind of an indifferent student, but he did have a certain brilliance when it yeah. came to certain things. Yeah. Um, trying to think for other early history for him. I uh, he uh, was supposed to go into the government. I believe that was his father's um, greatest wish for him. He wanted him to be a clerk, mm-hmm. and then his father died young. And his mother kind of let him get away with anything. And then he ended up being kind of a layabout. Yeah. And he was famous for wearing this kind of like old trench coat everywhere. And he would obsessively read and, uh, you know, yell about the government and mm-hmm. uh, all that stuff. Um, and complain about um, how the Jews were destroying Germany and they were the reason for all their woes. Mm-hmm. He serves in the German army, yes, during World War One because Austria wouldn't take him. So he moves to, um, what's the capital of Austria? Vienna. He moves to Vienna, which is a hot spot in this time frame for a lot of differing political opinions yeah. that are very, very strange. Um, within a very short period of time, he applies for art school. He does not get in, though I believe they said he actually may have been good enough to get in. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was some kind of mix-up yeah. with his application or something. So he ends up being, like, a ne'er-do-well. He's, he's living in, like, flop houses, and he's making money by selling uh, artwork on the streets. Yeah. Um, so he, he could not be further from what he became. He is the lowest of the low in society and basically contributes nothing. Um, and then... World War One begins. Mm-hmm. Archduke Franz Ferdinand is assassinated in Sarajevo. Yep. And uh, Austria 
is immediately uh, wants to crack down hard on uh, Serbia. And Serbia is uh, essentially a protectorate of the Russian Empire. Is that... They're a, a distant ally. Kind of, yeah. Because yeah. Serbia is was technically part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, they were one of the multiple little states like Bosnia and all of those regions that after World War II become Yugoslavia and then after the fall of the Iron Curtain become all their own places. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a bunch of ethnic Slavs mm-hmm. in Serbia. So Russia had kind of a... Pre- kind of like an unofficial protectorate of, oh, we're going to look out for our ethnic grouping, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Austria gives Serbia an ultimatum. Russia, this is part of all of those alliances that were formed in the early ni- late 18, early 1900s of, oh, if you attack so-and-so, then mm-hmm. I'll come in on your side. And if you're attacked, I'll come in on your side. Mm-hmm. Which is how it caught from being a conflict between Austria and Serbia to literally a world war. Yeah. Um, Germany is allied with Austria, yep. and they're the most bellicose, and they are, um, after German unification and after they win the, uh, the, you the know. Franco-Prussian War. The, the Franco-Prussian War. They are looking for more territory. Oh, yeah. Isn't it? Uh, Germany, since it was divided, it lost out on a lot of the colonies mm-hmm. that, like, France and England were able to attain, and certainly Russia as well. Yeah. Um, so they were looking to try and... Uh, expand their military as well as uh, their economies. Mm -hmm. So, um, a young Adolf Hitler is swept up into this, and he is a German... uh, I mean, he is an Austrian nationalist and a German nationalist, and he really does believe in in the cause. He applies... For the Germ, uh, the Austrian army, and is actually rejected by the Austrian army because he is unfit, because he is so small and has a weakened condition. He is basically half starved and yeah. cannot make it in. So he applies for the German army, and the German army had lower standards, and they would essentially take anyone. Yep. Um, and Hitler spends time in the trenches as a. Um, Runner, basically. Yep. He ran messages. Uh, he eventually attains the rank of corporal. Yep. Which uh, uh, Churchill would uh, always refer to him as, you know, that man or the, you know, German corporal. Yeah. And um, he became a fanatic, is basically what I would say, um, to the German cause and the central power cause. Yeah. Um, he believed strongly in all the nationalist... Um, propaganda and then he uh he actually did win um the iron cross yeah which uh, i believe it's been studied that there were several people in his division that won the iron cross so it's questionable whether he actually um deserved it yeah whether they just kind of yeah flung him out any other notes for early hitler not really. He comes back from the war and gets involved in a lot of kind of grassroots political organizing. Mm-hmm. He's thrown in jail a couple of times for mm-hmm. uh, the beer hall. Push. The beer hall push. Yep, and just other kind of mm-hmm. agitations. We should probably um, we should probably tell the story of uh, I forget. It is a British private, I believe. Mm-hmm. That actually uh, caught Hitler in a German retreat in which they seized the trenches that Hitler was in. Mm-hmm. And, excuse me, the, uh, I, I, as the Germans retreated, I believe Hitler tripped and fell in no man's land and stood up to find a British private aiming his rifle at him. And uh, the private uh, decided against shooting because he mm-hmm. felt bad. So Hitler was able to retreat. I believe the story is actually confirmed both by Hitler and the private. Wow. So um, just imagining mm. what would have happened if he had killed him. I know. The entire history of the human race would be utterly different. Yep. Wow. I hadn't heard that one. Really? I don't think so. Yeah. No. That's a... It's fairly well known. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Nice. Yeah. I forget the... Um, British private's name, mm-hmm. but you can look it up, at, yeah. you know, when we're done. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Hitler ends the war. 
he finds out that he uh, the the central powers have lost while he is recovering from a gas attack yep. and he's in a hospital bed. He is furious mm-hmm. and he is strongly believes that the high command had ac- and the people at home had actually stabbed the German army in the back and utterly abandoned them yep. and basically lost effort in the cause. They believed that it wasn't any kind of strategic loss. Yes. It was some kind of backdoor deal. Yeah. Um, so he rails against the government and hates it. And like you said, he kind of just becomes a... A little bit of an agitator. Yeah. Until he starts to get some followers. Yeah, I would say Beer Hall Putsch was certainly yeah. the first one. Uh, he literally tried to overthrow the the Weimar Republic. Yep. Um in uh they call it a beer hall putsch because it was literally in, in a, a beer german hall. beer hall in which he seized uh and tried to kidnap several members of the government um he basically proposed the idea of uh the i forget which members of government um but he held a gun to their head and basically mm-hmm. said like we're going to make a new government right now yeah um the violent revolution was put down by the german police almost immediately i think goring was with him in this one. Possibly. Um, one of his early yeah. groups. Um, and Hitler basically found a uh, common cause with the uh, National Socialist Party, which is shortened to the Nazi the Party. Uh, Hitler has uh, unbelievable oratorical skills. Yep. He can speak in public. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. Um, Let me start making grounds into the Reichstag. They start win, winning seats. They get more and more percentages of the electoral body as each round goes. Mm-hmm. And eventually Churchill is elected chancellor. He is... Churchill is elected I'm sorry, chancellor. Hitler. <laughs> no, Churchill's prime minister. Yes. No, but it is. It's, it's, it's always... You think of it as, oh, he's a whore, he's a dictator. He takes power out of the blah. It's like, no, he was, he was democratically elected. He was. Um, questionable. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he was, uh, the Nazis were elected and he was chosen. Yeah, it's kind of, um, I think it's the so same way yeah, that I was gonna um, say they did the prime minister where whatever party gets the majority. Yeah, and, uh, it, it, it was questionable. And he, I believe he was appointed by Hindenburg, who was the... Yeah, the president the, at the time. The, but he was, yes. he was, uh, just a, a figurehead at that point because he was, like, a million years old. Yes. He's yeah, a, yeah, like yeah. a hero of... The old imperial. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. So, the Beer Hall Putsch happens, um, and it's an effort for the Nazi party to seize control and create their own government. Yep. It fails. Mm-hmm. Um, Hitler gains a lot of ground within the Nazi party because of his oratorical skills. Yes. He's actually very um, politically astute, too, with uh, the maneuverings of people. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's able to outpace rivals as the actual figurehead yeah. for the Nazi party. The Beer Hall Putsch puts him on the map, though. Mm-hmm. Okay, so 1923. The Beer Hall Putsch? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so... Failed coup d'etat by Nazi party leader. Yes. Oh, it was Ludendorff. Ludendorff. Yeah, 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 yeah. In Munich. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Hitler is imprisoned because of the Beer Hall Putsch. Yep. Uh, he is given a heavy sentence that is eventually reduced. In that time frame, he begins to write his autobiography, Mein Kampf. Mein Kampf. My Struggle, is, yes? Yes, that is German from My Struggle, in which he lays out basically what he wants to do with society, the German public, and whatnot. It's not a particularly well-written book. It is well known to be kind of ham-handed, <laughs> uh, but it gains a lot of traction in... Germany. Yeah. Because people are looking for another answer other than the Weimar Republic because people are literally starving to death. Yep. Hitler's given a reduced sentence and then he spent, uh, he's able to get out. He, uh, I believe has a trial and then is released at some point or another. And he, he basically becomes, uh, one of the biggest political figures relatively quickly. Yeah. Within a matter of years. And, um, all around Germany, people see him as a hero of Germany. He is yeah. trying to bring Germany back to its glory. Yeah, and he's it. and getting getting back into the 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 roots of the fatherland. They're starting once he's in power. They the 
the Treaty of Versailles is like null and void to, to him. They start to remilitarize. They start to build up the German war machine again. Oh, basically. And because like the rest of the world will let them, that allowed the German army to make all of those gains at the beginning of World War II. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's like a 10-year period from the Beer Hall push to when he becomes Chancellor where he's just building up his base. Yeah, and it's uh, also the being one of the most popular politicians in Germany um, is often mistaken for he had universal love and no. acclaim. He did not. He probably had just the most uh, violent 20 or 30% of the population yeah. that was able to intimidate. Yeah, because uh, I think a lot of people forget that... like. The United States is one of the very few countries that has a like a strict two party system, mm-hmm. where like there were dozens of different political parties. Yes, that and rose yeah. and fell in yep. that period. The Nazis only being one of them. Yeah, uh, and the Nazis uh, basically were able to brutally intimidate anyone. Yeah, that. Um, one against them. They're they're responsible for all kinds of atrocities long before. Um, they got into uh, actual power. Uh, Hitler created um, their, basically eventually became the SS, but I forget mm-hmm. what they're called. They, Is it the they black the, shirts or the brown shirts first? Brown shirts, yes. Uh, they were, uh, they literally just went around and hired basically bouncers yeah. um, that would break up other political rallies. Yeah. And they would go in and they would start fistfights and they would use clubs to intimidate mm-hmm. voters and, and whatnot. Um, they're responsible for all kinds of terrible acts against Jews. It is very, very clear what the Nazis were yes. from the beginning, which and is there is you no... You start seeing that massive um, exodus of German Jews and German mm-hmm. um, intellectuals and anyone who wasn't on the Nazis' good list. You start seeing that massive exodus at the beginning of the 1930s. Yep. So, um... Which I think is when my family came over. Yeah. It's a little um, bit earlier, maybe. It's during this time period that, as we said, Hitler comes to power um, through Hindenburg, who is the um, but German I think Hind- I think Hindenburg just rubber stamped it. I don't think... Oh, yeah. First of all, he was 87. Yeah. Something along those lines. Yeah, he, he was is, president yeah. at the time, but it was very much like yeah, he, was he a, wasn't he was making a, any decisions for himself. He, he was pretty much a puppet. And I believe he uh, the, the idea of electing... Or, uh, putting Hitler in office was that they believed that they could control Hitler. Yes. Um, they liked his popularity, but they thought that, you know, um, they met him and basically said, you know, this guy's not that smart. We can yeah, manipulate so they, him. He becomes chancellor and it's like, all right, we can, we can, we can keep him in check. And I think Hindenburg died a year or so later. Yeah. Um, and oh, yeah. that's and like Hitler just takes all complete control. We should also probably, um, make clear, um, Part of Hitler's personal life is uh, he had a niece that um, supposedly he actually murdered. Really? Yeah, there's a lot of... um, uh, They had an argument, and a gun went off, and she was killed. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was questioned and alleviated from it, but supposedly um, they had had an affair. He and his niece? He and his niece, and I believe that... um, the, the claim is that she was the only woman that he ever, like, truly, actually loved. Wow. Um, this happens before he is chancellor. Mm-hmm. And it's all hushed up. Um, which is a very interesting story. Yeah, I've never that heard actually, that. Uh, yeah, it's one of those weird Hitler stories, and there are a lot of them. He is an odd person. Um, but, yeah, he... I think he, odd's an understatement, but, yeah. Yeah, I would definitely. I would say deranged is probably the the kindest word I can throw at him. Um, Hitler comes to power. Yeah. And, and the German war machine starts cranking again. It is. He starts firing on all four cylinders. 
um, he really starts ramping up uh, the all the German militarization. Mm-hmm. He completely and utterly ignores all the terms of yep. the Treaty of Versailles. Reoccupies um, Alsace-Lorraine. Yeah, he starts putting... Reoccupies yep. the Sudetenland. He secretly is building up, like, literally the Nazi war machine. Yeah. He's uh, England making... England and France let him waltz into Czechoslovakia and take over. Yep. He, uh, the beginning of World War II starts with the agitation of... Hitler himself. Um, It's interesting reading now, as I've been studying World War II more and more lately, he is kind of shocked at his own success. Yeah, he's expecting the other European powers to have some form of retaliation or demands, and they're all so desperate to avoid another conflict like World War One, that they're like, it's it's the whole appeasement policy of Neville Chamberlain that mm-hmm. we look at today, and it's like, oh my god, how could they have stuck with that strategy for so long? It's obvious that it wasn't working, but Churchill's the only one who was saying Season that at the time. Is. Yep. Everyone else is like, oh well, we were just we were a little hard on Germany, so we'll we'll let them take back that land. Mm-hmm. It's like it's theirs anyway. Let them and, get their dignity back. Yeah, yeah, I know it's it's just Czechoslovakia. Mm-hmm. And it's only Poland. It's only when he goes for Poland because Britain had like a legitimate agreement with the Polish government that they would defend them. Yeah, I um, not that it, not that they did enough. We should, yeah, we should beforehand. definitely itemize too. Um, the funniest part is that Hitler's government is, uh, very effective at bringing the economy back yeah. online. Um, they start putting people back to work. Yep. They start getting the production. Um, together and it really is he revitalized the, uh, the the country well it's part of his argument for why they need more land he's like oh well the German people need places to live They're, our population's well, expanding uh, I read this recently is that uh, there's wrong. actually some um, fair, it, it, the fair like statistical analysis for that which is the square footage that the average oh. German owns was significantly like it was like one tenth of the average Frenchman's. But not, like not that it's, like, thought, it's yeah. it was it was a legitimate like hey we need more space. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a legitimate argument that was used. <laughs> yes. to conquered other countries. Yeah, I was gonna say, but you know, purchasing land was another option. Yeah. Right now, um, Hitler is obsessed with the idea that he needs to rectify and punish. Yes. All the allies for the treatment of Germany yep. during uh, during World War One as well as um, after after. Um, so he invades. Uh, is it Sudetenland first? And then well, I think it's I think it's uh, Alsace and Lorraine territories first. Yes. Because that's where they get a bunch of the the coal and other natural resources to mm-hmm. continue rearming. Then I believe it is the Sudetenland, and then mm-hmm. Czechoslovakia, and yep. then Poland. And the invasion of Poland is the actual... September 1939. Is the actual beginning of the Second World War. Yes. That is when it begins in earnest. Yep, that's when Britain and France declare war on, on Germany. Germany. And when they're like, oh shit, we were in no way prepared for this. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to continue with Poland? Or do you want to switch tracks and head over to Russia? Up to you. I don't know enough about Russia, so that you're going to be spearheading that conversation. I feel like you know uh, enough. I feel like we're just going to be going over areas that you already know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, let's start with Russia. We have Mother Russia to discuss. Yes, we do. So... Um, imperial Russia to Soviet Russia. Exactly. So you definitely know more about like Imperial Russia than yes. I do. Yeah. So hit me with all your Imperial Russia knowledge because that is totally know? relevant. Because that knowledge ends in 1917 when the when the royal family is murdered. Exactly. Well, take me through the history of Russia. We just did the history of Germany. Yeah. So well, at least relevant to World War One, Nicholas II, Tsar uh, of all Russia. Um, Probably the worst qualified person to be the leader of a massive empire that encompasses... A... He's like the classic example of why monarchies are shitty. Yeah, yeah. Um, zero preparation for being czar. His father died unexpectedly. So Nicholas was like 20-something, had just gotten married. 
Um, Openly and, talked about how he didn't want to be king. Yeah, he literally just wanted to go and live in a little house with his wife and be a family man. Uh, he uh, enjoyed the army, his time in the army. Yes, he did enjoy his time in the army. Uh, I believe he was a cavalry officer. Yeah, yeah. Um, part of his, like, training or preparation for being czar was, like, he did spend some time with a bunch of the different branches of the Russian military, and he loved the military. He loved the, um, like, the structure of it and the, the camaraderie and everything. He got along much better with, like, army officers and soldiers than he did with people of his own class. And that only got worse after he and um, Alex of Hesse. Hesse, maybe. I never I know. It's Hesse, actually. I never know how to pronounce the German kingdoms. Fair. Um, um, I think it's Hesse. Yeah. They're both grandchildren, like great grandchildren, grandnephew, whatever, of Queen Victoria of England. Mm-hmm. Um, Alexandra's mother was Queen Victoria's daughter. And I believe Nicholas's mother was like a sister-in-law or like the daughter of something like that. It's it's the weird inbreeding of the European royal families where um, Edward the sixth, no, seventh, whatever Edward, who was Queen Victoria's son, it's called, like, the uncle of all Europe because literally every, almost every um, ruling monarch at that time was related to him in some fashion. Mm-hmm. So you have all these interconnected families. We should yep. probably... Because um... Wilhelm II of Germany was first cousins with Edward the Seventh of the United Kingdom. Yes. Yeah. So the... No, it was his uncle. It was his nephew. That was what it was. No, they're all cousins. No, because, um, was it that? Yes, they were all cousins. I think, um, because... No, because Bertie, so Edward was the younger brother of Wilhelm's mother. Nicholas, Wilhelm, and whichever English king it is. Is it Edward that's king during World War One? We're all cousins. Okay. They're all first cousins. That's the whole thing, mm-hmm. is that it is like classic European monarchy feuding. No, it's, um, it's George. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Edward only Edward ruled until like nineteen eleven. He only he was like George is the one that has the affair with Churchill's mother, right? Or is that um, the one before him? Honestly, I don't know. Yeah. There's so many Edwards and Georges. Yeah, I think. George is Elizabeth II's grandfather. Mm-hmm. Um, but anywho, yeah, I was gonna say we should probably not. We're getting sidetracked. Get as convoluted as we are. Oh yeah. So. so Imperial Russia is established in, I believe, it's the late 1400s, early 1500s. It's around that time. Because it was much, li- I mean, much like Italy and Germany. It was a bunch of little provinces. Mm-hmm. Um, and it starts with, like... Ivan the Terrible is the first... Tsar. Yeah, And Czar he's descended Russia. from, like, the Grand Dukes of Muscovy and, like, the Princes of Muscovy and all of that. Which is a territory Moscow. of Russia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um... So Ivan the Fourth, who was Ivan the Terrible, is the first czar, and it goes and goes and goes for another the couple hundred years. Russia has one of the most interesting histories I've mm-hmm. ever gone through because it is so oddly strange. It is a it is a massive territory. It's a massive empire that stretches from the Pacific past the Urals into yeah. Europe. Yeah. So it is by landmass alone, it's one of the biggest empires in the world. Big time. Um, I shouldn't say it goes from the Pacific. It goes all the way to um, Alaska. Yeah, until we bought Alaska. All the way from uh, Alaska to Europe. So it is a it is so many cultures mm-hmm. are caught up in it, but it's run by these series of czars. Yeah, with the exception of like an enlightened monarch is Catherine the Great, mm-hmm. uh, who they're very totalitarian. Yep. They're very uh, back-ass words, basically. Yep. It's all of this modernization that happens during uh, the you know, 17, 1800s yep. does not occur. No, where they... The serfs, Russia. the serfs were not freed until, I think it was... They were freed, what, 1860? Something like that. It was Nicholas II's grandfather or great-grandfather. Yeah, it was Alexander. It was his grandfather, Alexander yeah. II. Mm-hmm. And then he was assassinated. And mm-hmm. his son, Alexander the Third, 
became a super autocrat. Mm-hmm. Like, cracked on and everything, no reforms, and his son was Nicholas. Yes. So, um, so not getting caught up in the, right, in the but names No, of the but dynasties. because of this, yes. Nick, that's part of the reason why Nicholas was so convinced that even though he didn't want to be czar, mm-hmm. he needed to have complete it, control of everything. Yes. He could not delegate it is, at all. It is a reaction to the fear of toppling yeah. the monarchy itself. And it's the fear of revolution, so they brutally oppressed yep. their own people. Yep. Um, the serfs were freed, but the lives of Russian peasants all yep. throughout the 1800s and into the early 1900s was brutal and terrible. Yep. Um, they had essentially no rights. They could not vote. They were more or less still tied to the land. So and there was no voting until Nicholas was f- basically forced to create the Duma, which was their version of Parliament. Yeah. And, and that wasn't until like 1905. Yes. And I believe it was simply served as an advisory role yeah, to the king and, and the king. I was gonna say, yeah, and the king could do whatever he wanted with yeah. the Duma. It's like the Estates General in France yeah, exactly. in the French Revolution. So. Uh, Basically, the we get up to the First World War. Yep. And uh, as we said before, Russia kind of sees Serbia as its protectorate. Yeah. Uh, Russia was on the decline, I, I would say. say. They were already... The royal family was already kind of... They had to put down the October Revolution on shaky in the first ground, place. Yeah. Partly because they're one of the only... like quasi-European monarchies that is still as autocratic as it was. The um, They refused to modernize their economy. Anything. But the they also were so detached from the public partly because um, Alexei, who was the heir, was a hemophiliac, so mm-hmm. they kept the whole like royal family kind of out of sight. Mm-hmm. So they were so detached from their public that the public lost like faith and trust in them. Mm-hmm. And when the war started and they had they they had all of like the the nationalists the protecting of our like our people and nicholas went to the front and he was at the front but that left alexandra at the helm of the government and she royally fucked up everything so and rasputin is there and everyone hated rasputin and thought that he was like destroying russia from the inside so Russia is on this shaky ground at the best of times. Yep. There have been assassinations, there yep. have been attempted revolutions, yep. and uh, they begin uh, a series of short wars in which they lose all of them. Yep. They are looking to the Russo-Japanese much... war in the yes. early 1900s was yep. a huge wake-up call for them. Uh, they are getting into these small-level wars mm-hmm. and then losing, which yeah. is a huge loss of face for... Um, International politics. Yeah, no one thought that tiny little Japan could um, keep up er, yeah. or fight with them, especially when Japan had just so recently mm-hmm. started to industrialize exactly. after its opening to the West. So um, Russia gets his ass handed to it yep. in these series of wars. Um, Alexander is not really an effective military commander, and Nicholas is a terrible military commander, and doesn't really look into things despite his uh, time in the army, and he simply assumes that overwhelming force and the simple size Mm -hmm. of the Russian military will beat down anyone. It is long lost all the glories of, uh, you know, uh, Tsarist Russia that helped beat back Napoleon. Right. Like, they're long gone. Yeah. Nope. So, uh, most of the Russian army is still autocrats, Mm -hmm. and all of their officers are these people that are descended through, you know, many lines Mm -hmm. of... And they're not promoted based on ability. Yeah, it's all family connection. It is all networking, and that leads to an ineffective military structure. Mm Mm-hmm. So, uh, they get their asses handed to them in the uh, Russo-Japanese War. Russo-Japanese War, and then um, they begin looking for basically an excuse to. And Nicholas openly discussed he needed a good war. Yes. To um, unify uh, Russia, bring back the nationalism, and strengthen the monarchy in and yep. of itself. 
which is why they were so bellicose when it came mm-hmm. to Serbia in the first place, yeah. because they needed to reassert their authority. And the German Empire basically said, we can call you on it because you just got your ass handed to you mm-hmm. by the Japanese. What can you possibly like... do to us? So, um, World War One begins. Yep. And uh, we, uh, the... United Kingdom and France both ally with Russia, which Correct. is a very interesting turn of events because Czarist Russia is so ass backwards right. compared to uh, the United, United Kingdom. Yeah, they weren't the United Kingdom. I believe they were just uh, the I think British they were Empire. Great, I think they were. Um, I think they were the British Empire. You're right still. because they were Great Britain under. Elizabeth II's father. So mm-hmm. yeah, they're the British Empire. At this so point. the Brit- yeah, the British Empire is very liberal. Yeah. The United States is still the most liberal yeah. in the world, but the um, the British Empire is still very very liberal and gives all of its rights and stuff. So yeah. it, it it is openly talked about that they had very very strong reservations about allying with Russia, yeah. but they knew that they had to. Yeah, and Otherwise, you have that family tie. And you have that family tie. Um, Opposed to, you know, um, the German Empire's ambitions. So basically, mm-hmm. Russia and Germany are fighting for, I would argue, essentially the same reasons. Yeah. Um, and it's land gains. Yeah. So a big part of this is Poland, as ever, um, and Eastern Europe, which um, becomes the battleground in World War yeah. I. Um, what ends up happening is the exact same thing in the Russo-Japanese War, mm-hmm. which is the Eastern Front is filled with incompetence upon incompetence upon incompetence. Yep. They have the Ottomans, too. So they have, they're fighting. Yeah. Oh, we totally forgot to bring, have them bring up the Ottomans yeah, in World Turkey. War I. Yeah. So they've got the, on their, on war... Southern, yeah. south... To say, on, south, Ru- yeah, on, Russia's, on Russia's western side, they mm-hmm. have the central powers of Germany and... Mm-hmm. All of that, and then on kind of their southern, southwestern flank, they've yeah. got the Ottoman Empire, yep. Turkey, and the Crimea, and everything. Yeah, so uh, Russia is aggressively trying to um, expand its land gains, yeah. uh, especially in the Black Sea and the Mediterranean. It, it wants those ports yeah. for economic um, salvation. Um, what ends up happening is the Eastern Front just gets chewed up. Oh, yeah. And it turns into an absolute bloodbath after you have incompetent general after incompetent general. Um, Big time. And the Germans just start chewing up the Russians. And millions of Russians are dying on the Eastern Front. And uh, they get pushed back to Russia. Yeah. To Moscow or St. Petersburg, do you know? Or is it just to the Russian border? No, I believe it's just to the Russian border. It may be a couple miles inland. They They never get as far as Moscow. Yeah. Um, and what Germany does, which is one of the most brilliant coups of all time, is that they pull out, uh, a Russian malcontent, I suppose. Yeah, he's kind of like an exile, emigre type thing. Yeah, yeah. He's over Finland. He is a political undesirable who's in, in Switzerland. Switzerland. And they send him by German train with, um, a certain amount of gold yeah um with basically the idea of sowing fomenting yeah fomenting discontent in russia and trying to get the russian uh empire out of the war and this malcontent was vladimir ivanovich Ilyich. Ilyich. that's what it is vladimir lenin comes on the scene and within a couple of years yeah, I was gonna say like Russia's right. out of the war in nineteen seventeen. Yes, Russia Russia abandons the war completely. Yeah, um, well, it's like the the royal fam. Nicholas is forced to abdicate. Mm-hmm. Lenin and the Soviets take over. Yep, the royal family is killed. We should um we should so Stalin, um, I mean not Stalin. Lenin. I always get Stalin and Lenin mixed up. Yeah, Lenin is. Basically, this political genius who reads Marx, understands Marx, and realizes that there needs to be another answer to Russia's problems than the idea of uh, totalitarianism. So he begins, essentially, communism. Yeah. um, And... This is the first, like, real serious introduction of communism. 
and the illiterate Russian serfs Mm -hmm. who have lived in tyranny and oppression their entire lives have no better idea of where to turn. So the idea of having uh, a a collective, um, you know, state that is owned by the people, by the workers, and everyone is equal is a brilliant idea to them. Um, Lenin is... uh, He's a political genius mm-hmm. when it comes to the like the actual political machinations yeah. of you know how to build the party and whatnot, and this is where the Russian Civil War happens. Mm-hmm. He topples the government. There are revolutions and there are different states that declare independence yeah. and whatnot. Uh, Lenin's genius is that he's actually able to keep it all together, mm-hmm. and he makes a agreement with. Um, Germany yep. and the German Empire for an armistice long Which, before the war ends. I did not know much about the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk until, and we mentioned this at the beginning of this episode, um, I listened to Revolutions by yep. Mike Duncan, mm-hmm. History of Rome fan and fame, um, and he goes into huge, into detail on the Treaty mm-hmm. of Brest-Litovsk, and it literally got to the point where the Russians just said, nope, we're done, mm-hmm. we're not going to fight anymore. Mm-hmm. But they didn't agree to any of the terms that Germany demanded. Like, mm-hmm. Germany was demanding all sorts of... Land grants. Land and grants and yep. things like that. And they were like, nope, we're not going to give you any of that, but we're done fighting, so mm-hmm. bye. Yeah. And it worked. Yeah. It was insanity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Lenin comes to power, and he has a, um, what I would call, a hard right hand and a hard left hand. And Lenin was a hard man. Yeah, and... on. On both of those sides, you have basically his two heir apparents. But Lenin and Trotsky? Is Stalin. Stalin and Trotsky. Trotsky. So, um... Is it Trotsky? Trotsky. Oh, okay. So, Trotsky is the military commander. He is literally a military genius. And as the Russian war develops, the Bolsheviks, which are the communists, Mm -hmm. uh, end up fighting... Is it the Mensheviks? The Mensheviks, yep. The Bolsheviks Um, and the Mensheviks. Because the Mensheviks are more moderate. Yeah, so it's the it, it becomes a war between the Reds and the Whites. Yeah. And the Red Army is led by Trotsky. Mm-hmm. And Trotsky is the one that literally goes from military victory to military victory. Uh, he is less politically astute, but his popularity is massive. Mm-hmm. Um, Stalin, on the other hand, is... Is he Ukrainian? Georgian. Georgian, that's what it is. Uh, he was a Georgian kind of... He, he was not quite early KGB, but along those lines. Yeah. Um, kind of Russian special forces, ser- uh, served in the army, um, and he becomes very, very attached to Lenin uh, politically. So uh, what ended up being the development is uh, Lenin is slowly pushed gently out of power, which the Lenin is like that classic Thanos, a Voldemort villain, where um, they really want to do right by their people. They genuinely do, and they know that they are brilliant, and they genuinely are. But it's I want it like, but I need the power to do it. Mm-hmm. So they are trampling the rights of people. Why they do that, and the uh, they kill millions. Oh yeah. That's the other side of things, is that Lenin literally orders the death of millions of people so that he can consolidate his own power. Um, and he believes it is for the greater good because communism, or a communist Russia will be better for everyone. It mm-hmm. is this utopian ideal. Um, what ends up developing is after the Russian Civil War, Trotsky is kind of ends up being um, the poster child and I believe Lenin actually intended Trotsky to be his successor because Lenin is older Mm -hmm. what ended up happening is Lenin had a stroke yeah and it was pretty debilitating and uh Stalin was able to edge his way in Mm -hmm. and Stalin seized uh basically seized the premiership even though he technically was elected by their um government Mm -hmm. um but he was able to edge out Lenin before he died and Lenin was very upset and did not want Stalin to rule Mm -hmm. he wanted Trotsky to win and when Lenin and when Stalin comes to power Trotsky tries to fight him for it, mm-hmm. loses, and then flees to, uh, is it Argentina? Probably, or Please? Venezuela. Venezuela, it's Maybe. one of those. See the one who gets stuck with the ice pick? Yeah, and, and Stalin orders his death and has him assassinated with an ice pick. Yeah. Um, so it's a brutal, brutal oh, yeah. politics. Yep. Um, Which brings in us Russia. to Stalin's buildup 
before World War Two. Yeah, so we get to Stalin's government. Stalin starts to fully... All the pogroms and... Yeah, uh, the pogroms were going on long before. Oh, yeah. Um, Stalin... Stalin's pogroms, though. Oh, yeah. Um, Stalin begins to establish his own power, and he, I will say, is probably more brutal of a leader than even Hitler. Mm-hmm. I, uh, over time, he is able to get higher numbers, mm-hmm. but he, uh, he, he killed more people than Hitler, and that's something people don't realize, that the, the um, Soviet Union is an evil empire. Mm-hmm. People laugh and poke fun at yeah. <clears throat> um, Reagan's terminology and that ultra-conservative nationalism that the U.S. went through. But when you actively look behind the Iron Curtain and understand the accounts of what are going on, which is not heavily enough discussed about, is it is terrible. Yeah. And anyone who knew anything about foreign policy, foreign relations, and understood what was going mm-hmm. on in the Soviet Union, and it's only just becoming clear now, fought vitriolically yeah. against it. And it explains the Cold War a lot yeah. more. And this is the beginning of the Cold War here. So Russia um, is led by, or I should say, uh, Russia becomes the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. and Stalin, the United Soviet Socialist Republics, and uh, back in the USSR. Yeah. So, um, Stalin just brutally starts to assert his rule. Yep. In the most frightening way possible, he mass killings again. Mm-hmm. Tens of millions of people are murdered or sent to Siberia in work camps. Mm-hmm. Um, he establishes his own rule. It becomes a dictatorship under him. And he begins to have a massive power buildup. Yeah. Because one of the tenets of communism is trying to spread communism throughout the world. Right. And so that puts him at odds with the West, who he believes are just new imperialists. Mm-hmm. Which is... The true irony, because feudalism looks a lot more like communism, mm-hmm. uh, or a communist dictatorship than yeah. democracy does. Yeah. Um, he is, uh, actually is able to turn the Russian economy around in his five-year plan. Yep. Uh, millions die oh, yeah. because of that, but um, he is actually, he rapidly industrializes um, Russia, which was so far behind. Yes. So it becomes um, a mighty world power once again. And that's when we have the butting of the heads between uh, Stalin and Hitler. Yep. And the non-aggression pact. And we have the non-aggression pact in which they agree to split poor Poland down the middle. <laughs> poor, poor Poland. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's an interesting relationship. Both of them kind of openly hated each other, mm-hmm. but they were forced to work together. Um, uh, Hitler saw communism as the true threat yes. to any kind of liberty. Yeah, and he never intended to stick with the non-aggression pact. He just needed enough time to subdue France and Germany and um, England before he could turn to Yes, Russia. his idea was to conquer Europe first, and then the true enemy yeah. were the Bolsheviks. Um, I think Stalin knew this. Yeah, he just, he just didn't he, expect him to turn he did so not quickly. Ex- he did not expect the attack so quickly with Barbarossa. Yeah. Because that was, what, 19... Barbarossa was 41, 42. 42? Yeah. Um, it was intended for 41, but it got delayed because of uh, weather and logistical yeah. problems. And the Battle of Britain. Yep. Um, so it's... They're two of the most terrible human beings in the history of humankind, and I would shirk giving them the title of humans at that point. I think mm. monsters is probably closer to the mark. Um... It's both of them turned their nations into police states in which mass murder was common. Um, the order of the day. Yeah. It's. They're evil. Yeah. True evil personified in both of them. Um, that pretty much sets the stage so for. that's setting the scene for. The, the beginnings yeah. of World War I, uh, World War Two. Mm hmm. So that brings you up to date on um, Germany and Russia. Several hundred years of history in yeah, an hour. Yeah, exactly. We're doing our best. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. But I would very, say, very sum- sum- summarily. Yeah. So I would say next up we'll probably do um, 
Britain and France. Yeah. And then we can start in on um, the beginnings of like the actual fighting that takes place. Mm-hmm. Poland. Well, we'll Poor definitely talk Poland. about Poland and probably take it all the way up to Dunkirk next time is what I'm thinking. Yeah. Um, and then... The fall of France and then... Yeah, no, we'll get into... Um, we'll have to talk Japan, too. We'll get into say, the Pacific Japanese campaign. And American Japan history. and China. Yeah, exactly. That'll be important, too. So, all y'all... Stay tuned for, for more. Exactly. Part two coming Part soon. two of 7,000. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for listening to the Enlightened Podcast. We are brought to you by Anchor, a subdivision of Spotify specifically for podcasting. Not only can we be found on Spotify, we can also be found on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or frankly, anywhere you can find a good podcast. We can also be found on Instagram and Facebook. We're working on getting a Snapchat together. And in the meantime, you can DM us any questions, thoughts, concerns, or just a review. We've gotten more than a couple so far, and they've been overwhelmingly positive, not to brag, but we're pretty happy about that. So if you have any other thoughts or opinions, please feel free to let us know. And in the meantime, like and subscribe for more content.